0: find uh Colossians chapter 2 Colossians chapter 2 you know I've told this story before but it, it just keeps teaching me so I just keep sharing it I don't know whether it was my second or third trip to Ukraine but I know it wasn't my first uh we had taken some teenagers with us and um we were working in this village and it's really really different it's hard to imagine farm life um in Ukraine versus farm life here uh, because there's either these really tremendously big farms it's hard for us to fathom or there's these former communist collective farms and those are the ones that really tripped me out and that's the kind of place we were at. Everybody had a house, there was a street or a dirt road, you know, house on both sides and the farms went really far back in a really long rectangle and uh, every, every house had a garden where they grew tons of vegetables. Every house had a small orchard, and every house had had crops where back in the day they were expected to grow these crops for the government. but you know in these days it would become privatized um, and uh, and so it was a really interesting experience for a farm boy to see how all this unfolded. but my absolute uh, favorite things were some stuff you wouldn't expect like uh, <clears throat> they didn't have um, an indoor bathroom so the the outhouse was hard fixed and it had to Place where you would muck it out, and it was connected right beside the garden. And they would make, uh, uh, you know, uh, compost right on the spot, and uh, it it was uh, that's just efficient. It stuck with me. Um, I wouldn't have fished in it, but it was efficient. (laughs) But um, they also everybody had a cow or two, and what was amazing is they had a I don't know where they kept the schedule, but it was a schedule where you took turns being the shepherd you know, the cow shepherd, and these, they just opened the gate inside their, you know, behind their house, the stall was hooked right to the house, stable rather, and the cow would go to the end of the driveway, every driveway had a steel gate on it, they'd open the steel gate, and the cow would just go out, that, that, you know, you're just following the open spot, it seems like no big deal, here's what got me, when they came back, every cow stopped at his own gate, and I thought, wow, these are the smartest cows in the world, and if nobody was out there, they'd just wait, eventually somebody would run out open the gate and the cow would go back and get in his stall and uh, then I saw a young cow getting trained they trained them with a stick and so if you hit me with a stick I'll stop at the door after a few days too but here we were one day and we got caught behind the entire herd and I was walking with three or four American teenagers about 7,000 Ukrainian children who thought I was going to buy them all ice cream I did and um some Ukrainian teenagers, and we were all kind of in this fun conversation, and we had to walk at the pace of the cows. And all of a sudden, one of the little boys starts yelling, Mina, Mina, Mina. And he just stopped because Adam Norris had just stepped in a large pile of cow droppings. And so I'm saying, what was he saying? he was saying, landmine, landmine, landmine. And it was too late. Adam stepped in it. And Adam was always a neat guy, still is, he's a neat guy. And he was like, what am I going to do? I'm like, you're going to clean your shoe and keep living. That's what you're going to do. And, you know, honestly, that story has taught me so much about the value of, of proclamatory preaching. You know, but I find sometimes that we preachers are speaking Ukrainian and everybody else is hearing English. And, um, and, and so, you know, what's the way it feels anyway. Like I'm shouting, landmine, landmine! Oh, too late! You already stepped in it. Except for some of the some of the stuff that we're dealing with in life, these landmines aren't a matter of a of a cloth and a water hose. It is doing real damage to our lives. And when the when the when the when the leader in the church of Colossae, Epaphras, came and met Paul, Paul Paul was very engaged because I think what Epaphras told him was, "Man." We have really stepped in all kinds of stuff here, really dangerous stuff. And if you look at the evidence of, of what's going on in Colossians through the Scripture, and I think I'm going to make a supplemental video, video about this later this week. But if you look at the evidence, they were dealing with in the minimum, in the barest minimums, Gnostics and Judaizers, in the minimum. But I think there was some other stuff going on too. In other words, there are a lot of agents of Satan, willingly or unwillingly, planting landmines in these believers' lives, and they were stepping on it. Boom, boom, boom. Um, The problem is uh, it was really subverting the faith, it was disrupting the fellowship, and it was shipwrecking the local church. So Epaphras comes to Paul, and, and he's like, Paul, what do we do? He says, okay, it's not enough to say that ain't right, okay? We also need to show them the path through the minefield. Now, I've never done any mine clearing in my life, but I imagine it is a very dangerous job. Imagine it's very dangerous. I did see a sign for a minefield where they hadn't cleaned up since World War I in one place where I was in, in, in Europe. World War I. That's 100 years ago. They still haven't cleaned it up. Isn't that wild? So tonight, it's not enough just for me to point out mine, mine, mine. It's not enough for me to point that out. I also need to say to you guys, what's the path besides, you know, stepping on minds? So I'm going to do a little dance tonight. I'm just going to ask you guys to step in, take my hand, and dance with me. We're going to go back and forth between the really dangerous minefield and the really delightful Jesus. So if you would, join me in Colossians chapter number 2, beginning at verse number 6. If you don't happen to have your copy of the scriptures, we'll have it on the screen. who is the head of all rule and authority in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you are also raised with him through faith in, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father, uh, lots of antiquated references in here. God calls them to be fresh in our vision. and calls us to see not only the trouble that we face in our life, but cause us to also see the Christ who is willing and ready to deliver us. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. And I pray what will be short order, let me give you guys five big thoughts that will help you dance through the minefields of life. You see the main idea tonight, it's already flashed by, the world is dangerous and God is good. Somebody say amen. And these two things can exist simultaneously. The world is dangerous and God is good. Five big ideas. Number one, be established and keep going and growing. Now, this is a big idea. Now, if I were to change my wording, this is exactly what my point would be. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. <laughs> Except it seemed lame just to take the scripture as my point, so I made up one. This is a really awesome uh, a set of verses here. Why? Because Paul uses some wildly mixed metaphors. Casey? You like a mixed metaphor, right? Casey's a particular fan of mixed metaphors. You ought to love verses 6 and 7. Because how can you talk about walking with someone while also saying being rooted and being built? You use two things that don't seem to move. Or one moves, but it only moves deeper in place. Another one shouldn't move at all. And the other one's always moving. How can you use these metaphors? Well, I I, I think it's, it's highly on purpose, on, on the purpose of the Holy Spirit, but he got to start not with walking or rooted or built up. You have to start with that. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, what do you do? You back up and find out what it's. That's right. What is he talking about? He's talking about because Christ is preeminent, and because uh, Christ is the most important thing, and because your your spiritual salvation, your new life, your your cleanliness, your holiness, because all of that is dependent on Jesus. Because every bit of that is dependent on Jesus. He is saying, don't you walk away from Jesus. Don't you stop walking with Jesus. Keep on walking with Jesus. Yes, I said that three different ways. Negative, neutral, and positive. In other words, Jesus was the answer to finding life. Jesus is the answer to finding peace with God. Jesus is the answer to being forgiven. Jesus is the answer to being joined with the body of Christ. On and on and on. Jesus is the answer for being delivered out of darkness and into light. Jesus is the answer for for overcoming uh, the the weakness of the flesh, of smashing the works of Satan. So he's saying, because Jesus has always been the best answer, he is God's answer, keep on with Jesus. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So he says, keep on walking in him being rooted in him, being built up. As Christians, we walk, but we're also rooted and we're built up. The metaphors are mixed, and that's beautiful because think about a tree. The roots go down to get nutrients out of it. So what you want to do is as you abide in Jesus, think John 15, you get spiritual life, spiritual sustenance for continued growth from Jesus. You have to be rooted in him. Jesus is who you have to be planted in. Here's a big danger we face in this world. We keep getting, we we keep rooting ourselves in stuff that ain't Jesus. This is a a massive identity issue for us. Some of us root ourselves in our occupations. Some of us root ourselves in our hobbies. Some of us root ourselves in our politics. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that just, even if you sustain your identity for 70 or 80 years in that, you will not sustain your identity in heaven with that. Think about what I'm saying. Well, some of us build on the wrong foundation. So you think about if, if the roots go down and take up nutrients, the foundation is the solid place where you build. So he mixes his metaphors on purpose. You want to see the growth of a tree. You want to see the increase of a building. But you want to see forward movement in life. So we root ourselves in Christ. We build ourselves on Christ. And we keep walking with Christ. We're to be grounded. With Christ as the foundation, Christ as the soil, we're to be be building our life on Christ. As Adam Clark says, and I quote, In the one case they are to bear much fruit, in the other case they are to grow up to be a habitation of God through the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? As you're going along in life, in the one case, God wants you to root yourself in Jesus so you bear fruit. In the other case, he wants you to build your life on Jesus so that God can live in you more and more and more. A habitation. I love it. So what is he saying? He's saying, establish, be established in Christ, and keep on going deeper in and growing higher up in Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. And that's a, all that's a positive. Now let's hit a negative. Secondly, as you're walking, heed this warning. Watch out for cheap philosophies and empty traditions. Somebody say amen. Last week, I gave you guys three P words. Was anybody listening? Three P words. Politics, power struggles, and pandemic. And nobody forgot that one, right? Yeah, that was was a little P. It was three capital Ps. Because all of us are going through those first three, right? All of us. All of us are dealing with politics, power struggles in our nation, and the pandemic. Then our personal issues, Catherine, you're dead right from remembering that. You get a gold star. Our personal issues are always a little different. All of us have personal issues. I mean, y'all got issues, amen. But those are different, right? And what the what the idea was last week like, last week is no matter what we're facing, Jesus is the answer. Well, think about it like this: if last week what what the apostle Paul warned us against was plausible arguments, this week he's expanding on that a little bit by saying, let me tell you a little bit about what plausible arguments look like. They look like this, philosophy and empty deceit. Now, a guy who has got a degree in philosophy can kind of take exception to this. So maybe I should explain it. What he means here is there's good philosophy and bad philosophy. Good philosophy helps you think through things. That's not what he means here because all philosophy means is, anybody know? Love of wisdom, love of knowledge. Either one's acceptable, totally not arguing with you. Love of wisdom. So is love of wisdom bad? That's not what he's talking about here. What he is talking about is the sort of philosophy that isn't used to build yourself up or others up. It's just vain speculation. What's what's another thing we might call that in 2021? Hogwash. Hogwash. What would they call it on social media if they want to get rid of it? Fake news. Okay? And a lot of people, uh, I'm that guy, if you tell me something, in the minimum, I'm going to look on Wikipedia. I don't always trust Wikipedia, but I'm just telling you, in the minimum, I'm going to look. Don't tell me nothing without substantiating it. Say, where'd you get that from? I even, do that, I even do that with my sports arguments. People will say, so-and-so is the goat. I'll be like, how you figure that? What are your stats here? Prove it. This vain speculation is really about listening to people who are pushing their personal agenda. What Paul is doing is is punching the Judaizers in the face, he's punching the Gnostics in the face, and he's punching those people who want people following them for their own personal good right in the face. Now tell me there isn't plenty of that going on. What does it all amount to though? It all amounts to people wanting people to follow them instead of following Jesus. And who's at the root of all that mess? The devil. Flat out the devil. So what does he say? He says, watch out for vain speculation. Watch out for empty deceit. Now go back remember, he's talking about a plausible argument here. It sounds like it makes sense. I I like, I really want to do a Hebrew, I mean a Greek lesson here. I'm not, don't nobody get nervous. I like that phrase, takes you captive. You know what it literally means in the Greek? Leads you away as prey. Isn't that a, isn't that a picture right there? Leading you away as prey. I watched some crazy movie the other night. I know it was on Prime Video. And um, the whole premise of the movie was some, somebody was, was kidnapping people and cutting out their voice box and then setting them loose in the woods and hunting them. I didn't see it coming either. The description says a man is trying to recover from the loss of his daughter <laughs> while watching over a refuge. Uh, no, listen, it says, a man's trying to recover from the loss of his daughter while watching over an animal refuge he named in her honor. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a guy who's out with the you know, bunnies and he's going to be trying to. Get, I really did. And they got a guy here in this, you know, creepy hunter gear chasing people around. But I was in then. (laughs) I did cut it off because it was nighttime. And y'all know I don't do horror movies. You know your boy, you know your boy up here in the bed. I watched it all in the daylight. I did, man. I got scared. I ain't gonna lie. I did. I got scared. Don't be playing around with my heart. But I started studying this passage, and I, and I thought, wow, what is this guy doing? What are these philosophies doing? And, and think about it. What do you do if you want to hunt somebody, B-O-D-Y? If you want to hunt somebody, you capture that body and pursue that body. What are you going to do if you capture somebody's affections? You steal that heart and take it somewhere and kill it. What are you going to do if you want to steal someone's mind? You sneak it away over here, and then you get it. All the hogwash and any, any of the hogwash that takes you off of trust in Jesus falls into the category of empty mess. Imagine some guy in a restaurant and someone tries to, you know, someone tries to lure him outside. And say, hey, man, uh, you know, I overheard you saying you like old cars. Come see mine. So what did he get with? Oh, I want to go see this old car. You get him outside, beat him up, and rob him. That sounds like a made up story, doesn't it? No, it happened to one of my dad's neighbors. He had been to a car show with his 48 Chevrolet. And the guy says, I saw you driving an old car. I'd love to show you mine. Took him outside and robbed him. 70 some years old. Hit him over the head with something and left him laying in the parking lot. That's picturesque, isn't it? So what are we giving our attention to that winds up being vain speculation, empty deceit, taking us prey, stealing our attentions off of Christ? It doesn't always have to be malevolent like a weird serial killer movie. It can be pretty innocent, like just watching YouTube for too long. <clears throat> yeah, if I start watching fail videos, I'll look up and it'll be three days later. I love to see people fall down. I fell down Friday night. That's why my children are laughing. No cameras. There's even more here. He says, you know, basically watch out for the elemental things of the world. Literally, you know what that phrase means, literally? It, it literally means, it's stoicheia, it's and it means things play side by side. How do you teach kids how to read? What do you start with? The ABCs. That's exactly what this means. Things play side by side. You teach them the numbers. What do you do? Uh in other words, it means elementary things. Do you know? Do you know that's where plausible arguments start? People will get you to believe. The devil wants you to believe. Your, your weak flesh wants you to believe. The broken world wants you to believe in all this silly mess, and the real goal is to replace Jesus. And the next thing you do, the next thing you know, we, we, any of us, are susceptible to this. We're like that image in Hebrews 2, where the rope is loosed from the boat in the nighttime, And it just gently is a long ways from the shore when you wake up the next morning. That's us. That's us. I just noticed the time I got to fly. Number three, I didn't even say all I wanted to say about that. Such an incredible passage. Thirdly, Christ being fully God brings the fullness of God to those whose faith is in him. Look back at verses 9 and 10 very, 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 very quickly. Oh, my Jesus, help me. Very quickly, verses 9 and 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's smacking the Gnostics right here. The Gnostics say all material is bad. What's Paul say? Yeah, all of God is in Christ. And the uh, and the father's pleased about that. So take that Gnostics. Verse 10: And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. When I read that the other day for about the 50th time, you know what I got a, an image of? I got an image of going to a sink, you know, that's filled with water, and you just plunge your, your glass in it. You know, how, how do you get full? You see that image? Can you, just, can you see it in your mind? Or, or, or maybe no one drinks water like that. Maybe you think about, I want to put a fire out. And I go over here where it's a pool of water and I just put the bucket all the way under and I come out. That's the image I get in my mind. Paul is declaring, he's declaring that in the sun there dwells all the absolute fullness of the Godhead. It's not little sprinkles of the Godhead. It's not, uh, as one writer said, sprays or rays of the divine. It is in his person the entire splendor of the Godhead. So what does God do to his people? He says, all the fullness of God dwells in him bodily. So what does he do? He wants to put us in Christ. Now, what an image. What's the fastest way to fill the bucket? Drop it all the way under the water that's, that's, you know, full water. And then he says, you know, actually, that's how you're going to be complete in him. There's another false teaching floating around Colossae that I really want to take time to unfold. There's several, I believe. It's called docetism. And what docetism says is that Jesus had no actual human body. He just seemed to have one. Paul is going, shut up, docetist. He had a body, and all of of the body of the Godhead bodily dwelled in him. There's another one called Serentheanism that says that Jesus, the man, was separate from the spirit of Christ. Paul is punching him in the face going, psych, no. All the Godhead dwelled bodily in Christ, and it pleased him to do so. Stop. It's such a hard one to say. sorinthians hush. That's the technological term right there. sorinthians hush. He just punched T-H-A-T. Sarah, I want to know, could I spell that? I'm highly successful, T-H-A-T. In other words, all these people that try to play tricks with Jesus, Paul says, stop it. He's fully God and fully man. Only only a man's flesh could be treated like that, and only God could do those things. It's that simple. So where is our hope? You know, I, I don't know. John, did you pick the songs tonight, Andrew? I'm not real sure. John? Oh, oh, Michaela, who's sick tonight. John filled in last month. Michaela, fantastic job. I mean, you guys notice how these songs go right with this passage, like they usually do here at East Rock? Christ alone, the cornerstone, the weak made strong. Where? In the Savior's love. Through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. That's what Paul's encouraging them to do. Last two things real quick. Number four, don't be fooled by foolish threats to take you off course. Go back to verses 11 and 12. He gets to talking about circumcision. And I know we got a lot of kids. We are not going to talk about circumcision. But all y'all little kids, all right, say it after me. Sir, come, scission. At dinner tonight, say, Dad, tell me about circumcision. Ha, 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 ha. Pastoral revenge. <laughs> Next week, we'll be forming the check uh, for circumcision committee. Andrew will be the chair. <laughs> Let's just say this, though. Circumcision is this sort of outward symbol that says you are in an agreement with God, that you, you, you've you agreed, uh, you're, you're marked, or, or, or uh, like maybe, uh, I mean, don't raise your hand if you don't want to. Don't raise your hand if you don't want to. How many of you guys have a tattoo? Tattoo. Um, All right, so maybe you think about uh, a circumcision is not a tattoo. Maybe you think about a tattoo as an outward symbol. Sort of think about circumcision like that. Fair enough? And uh, Clay and uh, Andrew and all you dads with boys and girls of good memory, they'll be glad to explain this to y'all. You knew how bad I wanted him to come up here. <laughs> but what, what is he saying here is something that's really important. He's saying, um, listen, listen. What God has really done is, is he circumcised your heart. He has peeled away that flesh that, was, that, that, that stopped your heart from being sensitive. And he's exposed your heart and gave you a living heart, a sensitive heart that walks with the living God. You, you know, sin, sin had so covered you that sin had made a hard covering over your heart. And then he pictures, he's, he's basically saying, you know what New Testament circumcision is? It's baptism. And what does baptism picture? That's right. That's exactly right. You get buried, right? You go down. Under the water. It's a beautiful picture. How many of you guys are already just thinking of your own baptism right now? Yeah. I'm holding this kid under for a minute right now. But your dead and that's your old life, really. And you know, it's it's actually no need to do this if you don't have a new life on the inside. But there's no reason not to do it if you do have a new life on the inside. So that old life and the old record. The old man, the old woman, he's buried. And what happens here? What's that a picture of? Resurrection. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? And he's saying, look, what God will do is circumcise your heart. And he gave you a symbol. He gave you a symbol. And so what he's really saying here is every time... Every time the enemy tells you you need something besides Jesus, you just remember the work he's done in you and the symbols that have substance that he has given you. And you stand on that. And I want to say so much more, but I'm not. Let me give you this last thing. The cross is our surety that God's work is complete. I love, I love verses 13 through 15. You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that hardness that kept you away from God. You who were dead in that, God has made you alive, and he's forgiven you. He's gotten the thing out of the way, or the things in my case. It wasn't a thing. The main thing was unbelief. But that unbelief had a lot of symptoms, a lot. So he did the thing and the things. He's forgiven me. He's canceled the debt, made me alive. And now, like, listen, the enemy, the enemy still comes after me hard. And he's not, all, he's not wrong. Sometimes he's a flat-out liar. Sometimes he, he's telling the truth about me. Tim's a glutton. Tim's full of pride. Tim is angry and covetous and jealous. He sometimes has these thoughts that are way out of control. He can be kind of coarse, and all my friends say amen. And he can be just totally impatient. Um can be greedy about something. I mean, mean, the list is just accurate. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? The list is just accurate. But what does Jesus go? Okay, devil, that's right, Tim is that way. And he grabs his his nail and he goes, that's on the cross. Oh yeah, Tim, Tim's prideful, on the cross. Tim has lusty thoughts, on the cross. Tim is temperamental, to say the least, on the cross. So it's not that my Savior's denying my issues. What's he doing with them, church? He's putting them on the cross. Why? He wants to counsel them out. He's nailed it to the cross. Now, I want to tell you a story that I told, I don't know, I told it a hundred times to young people because I just feel like a lot of times we don't get, you know, where sin, what sin is doing. I was actually at, uh, I lost, oh, Brett left with the baby. I was at uh, this was years and years ago. Brett was still a little wee little teenager. I was at his house. Uh, Kent and I had been working night shift, and we had just come off night shift, and we were getting there transition to day shift, and I'd gone down to the DMV right down the road from where Brett lives now, and and uh, they said I couldn't get my license because I owed X amount of dollars. And uh, this was before cell phones, so I run down to Kent's house like, hey, Kent, need to use the phone. I called over to South Boston. They go, oh, yeah, you owe the Halifax County this and the state of Virginia that. And um, uh, I ran back to the house, and I got, you know, my my folder that that just is full of all my misdeeds. You know, it's thick. And I, I, I'm going through it, you know, and I'm finding these receipts. And I said, I think someone's in error here. Did I ever owe that? Yes. Do I owe that? No. Where's the proof I don't owe that? It's here. So then I drove to Halifax, the town of Halifax and the county of Halifax. I go into court. The lady pulls it up. She said, oh, yeah, you owe this. And I show her the receipt. Young people, that's why you keep up with your business. And she goes, oh, you've paid that. And, you know, I was walking with Jesus by this point and trying not to cuss. So I said something really intelligent like, I know. Because I'm about to lose my mess. And I show her the other one. And she's like, oh, you've paid that one too. <laughs> and she prints this thing, and I go all the way back to South I mean, to Roxborough, to, to Roseville. I walk in, it hasn't come through the computer. And these are the days, I, I mean, you know, I, I did not have time in the middle of the day to do things. I had to take work off, you know. So here I am. I, got them, I go out the car, I get them in the vanilla folder. She's like, if it's not in the computer, it ain't real. <laughs> yeah, fake news, empty deceit, vain speculation, hogwash. And I and I I put on the kindest Tim Vose face I could, which is not ever very kind. Yeah. You know. Please. And she said, "This is what the lady said, I'm going to make an exception." And I'm screaming, you're not making an exception. I have the record. You're not making an exception. You're doing your job. What I want for my brothers and sisters at East Rock Community Church is to look at the full cross and the empty tomb and remember that Jesus has nailed your debts to the cross. and He was nailed up right over top of them. And he paid them all. And when the world tries to tell you Jesus ain't enough, you just tell the world nothing else can pay the debt and no one else was willing. And when the world tries to knock you off of Jesus, it can't steal your salvation, but it sure can jack your sanctification and it can wreck your joy. We're living in a world that is just absolutely full of pitfalls. I was, I was talking with a young friend of mine today, and they was just talking about how many things they just watch TV, how many things grieve their heart, and I'm like, amen. So what do we do? We just got to literally learn to navigate this stuff like a minefield, walking with Jesus, loving people, Not being ripped to shreds, trusting him in all situations, not being carried away, having fruitful ministry to people who are carried away. And doesn't it just all of a sudden we're like, we're very carefully, yet wildly and joyfully dancing through a landmine field. Saying, God help me with every step to take joy in the dance, to find purpose, and to not get my leg blown off Jesus Doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't it already feel like that? See Believers, see the point of all the devil's work. He doesn't want you to trust that Jesus who will guide you through. He doesn't want you to do ministry to the people who are wounded. He doesn't want you to enjoy him. So what am I saying? I'm saying you need divine help. You know that old hymn, I need thee every hour? I'm like, why'd that lady wait so long? I need the every moment. <laughs> Not just once in a while, in an hour's time, every moment of every hour. That's what she meant, though, right? I need you every hour, all hour. I'm just being silly. But there's this other category of people that I should, I should make a word of invitation. Some of us in categories and some of us with our entire lives are already carried away with vain traditions, empty deceit, uh, vain speculation, human traditions that don't have substance, plausible arguments, and we need to be rescued. Here's what's going to happen for you to get rescued. God is going to painfully reveal your error and lovingly guide you to truth. And at first you're going to really hate it because it's going to feel like Jesus is saying you're wrong about your life. Guess what Jesus is saying? You're wrong about your life. So whether it's a category, an issue, and you're caught up in an empty philosophy, or it's your whole life, here's what Jesus is saying. Come on, go with me, and I'll guide you through. Because what did he do? He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose from the grave because he defeated the enemy death. And he says, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If you believe on the name of Jesus and all that he's done for us, and if you trust him to be your Lord, you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna adopt you into the family of God. And as his child, he's never gonna let go of you until you're just like him. Years and years and years ago, Andrew only had he started with two kids. And we sprinkled, no, this story. And he sprinkled water on one of them at Christmas time and they and they expanded. And um but he only had uh, you had Peter and Noah, and you were really frustrated one time and about something your son done, and he says, and, and he realized, like, I'm not going to get rid of my son, and that's exactly how God loves him. He's not going to throw him outside and leave him out in the cold, because that's not how a father loves a son. I always appreciate that illustration. One, because you didn't throw your son outside, but more importantly, because being a parent taught you that God's not going to throw you outside. That's so big. But you know what he will do? He will drag your nasty behind through all your mess until you realize that you don't like it yourself. Or more, li- more, more likely, he'll let you drag yourself through it. He'll let you sit in a pig pen until you go, hmm, it was a lot better at my daddy's house. Amen? So where are you tonight? It, whether you're a million miles away from Jesus, he brought you this moment so you could hear him calling to your heart, come to me. Or maybe you're just one idea away from agreement. He's calling to you in that, too. Father, thank you for a chance to share from your word. Lord, thank you for this beautiful people. Thank you for this awesome space you've given us, both in time and in geography. Thank you for gifting this congregation with so many people who love to, to lead us in, in understanding the scriptures through, through scripture, through excuse me, through teaching, through singing, through preaching, through praying for one another, through earnest, honest counsel. God, what you've done is you've equipped this local church to be full of people that help one another navigate the landmines. Lord, if there's any soul here tonight that realizes they're any distance away from you, I pray you, you call them to commit or recommit themselves to you to believe on you, you and your work, and to let you be Lord. To believe it in their heart and confess it with their lips. Lord, as we sing this song of reflection, do the sort of work that only you could ever do anyway. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus I pray, amen.